0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Uh, allow me, uh, before turning to our text this morning, to uh, publicly thank the session and the congregation for extending me today. Uh, sabbatical time this summer. Uh, Some of you know that my last Sunday will be May 20th for quite some time before I begin my sabbatical on the 21st, and I won't return uh, until August the 13th to work. My first Sunday back will be August 19th. Uh, In the lifeline, there's kind of a brief write-up about uh, what me and my family will be doing over that time. Nothing too elaborate. We'll probably be worshiping at City Hope Fellowship Uh, while while we are here. We'll be traveling a little bit Uh, But mostly we're just going to try to rest over the summer. But I'm extremely grateful uh, to Pastor Bob and to Larry and Eric and Felix, and I think John and Frank were part of the session as well uh, that agreed to extend that sabbatical time to me. And I'm grateful for you as a congregation allowing that time for me to spend with my family. So thank you very much. But I will be out of view over the next several months here after next Sunday. You know, sometimes people fall out of view to such a degree that you begin to wonder, Whatever happened to those people? <laughs> Where are they now? What happened to them? Like celebrities featured on Where Are They Now? segments. Like, I'm going the wrong way. Sorry, Paul. I, got it. I always start hitting the wrong button. There we go. Like this guy. Some of you probably recognize this child actor. He played Charlie in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in 1971. His name is Peter Ostrom or Ostrom. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. Did you ever wonder what happened to him? He actually didn't see many more movies because he didn't pursue a career in film. After graduating from high school, he attended Cornell University and earned a veterinary degree, and now serves as a veterinarian in Lowville, New York. I went the wrong way again. Uh, I just leave my thumb right there. That's what he looks like now. That's Peter Ostrom, the veterinarian. Um, this is the 90s band In Sync. Some of you probably recognize Justin Timberlake in the center there because he's still very active in the entertainment industry, but what about the guy to his left? Chris Kirkpatrick is his name. I had to look that up on the Internet. I don't know about any of these guys other than Justin Timberlake. Seriously, I don't. Um, But his name is Chris Kirkpatrick. Whatever happened to that guy? Where is he now, and what is he doing? Well, you probably don't know, don't need to know, probably don't care to know. But when these questions are applied to Jesus, they're actually really important. Where is Jesus now, and what is he doing? And the answers to those important questions are actually given to us in fundamental articles of our faith, confessed in the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed by Protestants, Roman Catholics, and Eastern Orthodox believers across the board. Those confessions and creeds confess five things about Jesus. That he was born of the Virgin Mary, which we celebrate at Christmas time. That he was crucified and died, which we commemorate on Good Friday. That he was raised from the dead, that we observe on Easter. That he is coming again in glory, which gets its fair share of attention, especially in certain church circles. And then there's the one that is often entirely overlooked. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, case in point that that's often neglected is most of you gave no thought whatsoever to this past Thursday. This past Thursday. Because you had no idea it was Ascension Day. And the way we calculate that is based on the New Testament. We learned that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples over a course of 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And so Ascension Day is 40 days after Easter, which this year fell on this past Thursday May the 10th but we often emphasize his death and resurrection in the past which is an understandable emphasis and we emphasize his coming again in the future which is an understandable emphasis but we do so with little or no thought about his present work and ministry where is Jesus now and what is he doing And why is this important? Why is this a fundamental article of our faith to be confessed and to be celebrated? That's what I want to consider together with you this morning. Confessing and celebrating Christ's ascension. The ascension is actually mentioned or alluded to 33 times in the New Testament. So it's not some fringe doctrine. In fact, in their earliest sermons, the disciples make reference not only to the resurrection, but bear witness to his ascension right alongside of his resurrection. And so there are a number of passages in the New Testament that help us understand the ascension. We're going to look at a number of them, but our primary text is going to be Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate one uh, underneath the chairs in front of you. Again, our text is Ephesians chapter 1, looking at 16 through 23, but emphasizing verses 19 through Through 23. We'll concentrate more on those verses. So if you found your place, Ephesians chapter 1, let's stand for the reading of God's word beginning in verse 16. Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, there are at least three things that are confessed and celebrated about Christ's ascension in this passage. And let's think about this first. Let's see how this passage is confessing and celebrating Christ's place. Confessing and celebrating his place. Paul tells us in verse 20 that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's where Jesus is now in the heavenly places. In one sense, the ascension represents a change in location for Jesus physically. A change in location for him physically. He was once on earth and now he is in the heavenly places. Remember that when Jesus was raised, he wasn't raised just in spirit. The tomb was empty, his body was raised as well. Where is that body now? The body's not in a tomb somewhere. It's not buried in the grave. Jesus is alive, body and soul. That body is in heaven, in the heavenly places. Jesus is everywhere in the cosmos, spiritually, but physically, he's in heaven. Now, the Bible uses the word heaven to refer to different things at times. Sometimes heaven is just meant to refer to the realm of sky and clouds that we can see. Other times, it's meant to refer to the more distant expanses of outer space when it refers to the heavens or the heavenly places. Also, quite frequently, it refers to the unique place of God's dwelling in glory, the unique place of where God dwells in glory beyond our present dimension and perception, beyond sky and space. And that's what Paul is referring to here in Ephesians chapter 1 by the heavenly places. He also refers to it later in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 10 that Jesus ascended far above all the heavens. Jesus is in heaven, this place where God dwells in glory. It's where he is physically. And so that Jesus is in heaven means that heaven is an actual place, Heaven is an actual place that exists, even though we can't see it with our eyes. But there's tons of things that we can't see with our eyes. None of us can see all of these oxygen molecules surrounding us right now that are actually essential for our survival. It doesn't mean they aren't real. Heaven is a real place, and Jesus ascended there physically. And he entered there into the presence of the Father's radiant glory As a man, he entered there in the fullness of his humanity. That place where God dwells in glory that even the seraphim that surround him cover their eyes in the brilliance of that light. Jesus ascended there, and when he ascended there, he did so by his own power and on the basis of his own merits. Jesus appeared before the Father and made no plea for mercy, because he didn't need any mercy. He required no assistance or support from angels to lift him up or bear him up in his ascension as he was strengthened by an angel at Gethsemane. He didn't need that any longer, and he required no mediator between him and the Father as all of us do. He entered into the brilliance of heaven's light to appear in the presence of the Father on the basis of his own perfect righteousness as a human. There's a human in heaven now to appear in the holiness of God. And he's welcomed. He's received there, accepted by the Father in the fullness of His his humanity, and He's welcomed and received and celebrated by angelic shouts when He ascends. We heard it in our call to worship already this morning. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you mighty doors, so the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory? Well, the New Testament answers that question for us in the ascension. It's Jesus. Jesus is the king of glory, the one who humbled himself and descended into the lowest depths of death and hell to pay the penalty for our sins, to atone for those sins, and to cover us with his blood. He who descended into the deepest depths is now ascended into glory in the fullness of his humanity and because of that because he appears there now in heaven he opens up heaven for all of humanity for anybody who would turn to him in faith listen we have no hope of standing in glory without the ascension of Jesus Jesus is our forerunner and he appears there that we may appear with him and so how can we not celebrate and join that angelic chorus related to his entrance and his exaltation. But more than that, we can also celebrate this because according to verse 20, the Father seated Jesus at his right hand. And so the ascension is not just about confessing and celebrating his place, it's also about confessing and celebrating his position It's not just a change in location for Jesus physically, it's about him occupying a particular position in his ascension, specifically being seated at the right hand of the Father. Now all this language about being at the right hand is figurative language, it's symbolic language. We're not to take from this that the Father has a physical body or that he has a literal right hand. The right hand refers to the strength and power of God. As we read in the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, Moses sings this after God's work of redemption in the Old Testament, after redeeming his people from slavery in Egypt, Moses sings, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. It is figurative and symbolic of strength and the power of God. It's also symbolic in the sense that we shouldn't think of Jesus as always sitting at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes the New Testament just says he, he, he's being at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes he's standing there. In the book of Acts, when Stephen is stoned, when he's stoned, he lifts up his eyes and sees the ascended Christ standing at the right hand of God. The essence of this imagery, of this language, of being seated at the right hand of the Father, simply signifies power and honor and dignity and status, which is exactly where Paul goes in verse 21. And he says, Jesus has ascended far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That Jesus has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty means that he has been exalted to the highest position. The highest position is occupied by the ascended Jesus. The one who was once rejected by men now has bestowed upon him the highest honor by God and has given the name above every name. The one who was once crowned with thorns is now crowned with glory. The one who was once condemned by the world now acts as judge. His humiliation has ended And now he is exalted, exalted to the highest position. You know, you don't have to be a baseball fan to know that in 2016, after 108 years of losing, of humiliation, of frustration, of defeat and heartbreak, the Chicago Cubs finally won the World Series. (laughs) After all of that, after all those years of humiliation, finally exalted. And wow, what a parade they had. The parade in Chicago, it's stunning to look at pictures of the parade in Chicago. I read, and it was on the internet so it might not be true, but I read that it's, it's regarded as the seventh largest gathering in human history. The Chicago Cubs parade after they got home. The seventh largest gathering in human history. It's remarkable if you look at some of the pictures, but here's the thing. It's nothing compared to the welcome Jesus received by the host of angels when he entered into glory after accomplishing the work of his redemption. And it's nothing compared to the status that's conferred upon him by the Father in his ascension. Listen, the Chicago Cubs were temporarily, temporarily on the top of Major League Baseball. Jesus, in his ascension, is forever exalted as king over all creation. Forever. Everything in creation is subject to the exalted Jesus in his ascension. His ascension also means that he is exalted as the ruler over all. Jesus uses this language in preface to commissioning his disciples in the Great Commission. He says, all authority In heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in the ascension, God shows himself faithful to the vision of Daniel, exalting the son of man and giving him an everlasting kingdom. He's faithful to his promises to set a son of David on an everlasting throne. All that's fulfilled in the ascension as Jesus is exalted as the ruler over all, which also by implication means everything that happens in our world is under the direction of Jesus. Everything happening in our world is under the direction of Jesus and is under his control and authority. So, I want to ask you a question, though. Stop and think about that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he's ruling over all now? Even in the face of opposition, even in light of deteriorating culture, Jesus reigns. Do you believe that? Are you you living and thinking like you believe that? Or do you find yourself cowering in fear and being plagued with worry about the future? National concerns, personal concerns, family concerns. Well, the ascension declares this to you. Fear not. That doesn't mean we're not concerned about those things, but we don't cower in fear. Fear not because your King Jesus reigns from his throne and his kingdom is unshakable. That's what the ascension declares to us. Think of all the most influential people you can think of, whoever you would assign that label to, whether that's Warren Buffett, Donald Trump, President of the United States, North Korea, and its nuclear armament. Add them all together. And then throw all of the evil forces in there, all demonic forces. Add it all up still. doesn't even amount to a feather compared to the power that Jesus has in his ascension, who is exalted far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's Paul's language here. But it also means this, that in your struggle with sin and principalities and powers in your life, in your own spiritual warfare, the ascension of Jesus guarantees your victory in that battle. Is that how you're fighting? That's the kind of power Paul wants us to know in this passage. That power is available to us in whom Jesus lives, the ascended Jesus lives. And so we can't have victory, spiritual victory, in our warfare through the ascended Christ. But it also means this, not only is he exalted as the ruler of all, by implication, he's exalted as the ruler of us. The ascension of Jesus demands total allegiance and complete obedience to him as our king. So I would encourage you to think about that again. Do you believe that? And are you living like that? Are you living like Jesus is the exalted king over your life and he's a king who issues commands about how you live your life, about the thoughts that you think, about your purity, about the language that you use, about the way you use your money, about your relationships, about your marriage, about your relationship with your family and your friends. He issues commands about these things to be obeyed. Or do you think more of Jesus as a counselor who's simply dispensing good advice that in the end you can take it or leave it? The ascension of Jesus means that we are to give him complete and total submission. The ascension calls for our complete and total submission, but it also calls for celebrating, confessing and celebrating his provision. So that's a third thing. Jesus is not just a king who issues commands. He's also a king who defends us and provides for us. You now I think we all have probably heard of people who become famous actors or uh, professional athletes or they win the lottery and then they forget about all the friends that they had before they became famous and wealthy. (laughs) The ascended Jesus isn't like that. Jesus occupies his place and his position for you and for your provision. Remember this, Christian. Jesus was born for you. Jesus went to the cross and died for you. Jesus was raised from the dead for you. And Jesus ascended into heaven for you. He is there for you and for us as his people. Paul writes about this in verse 22 when we read, He is head over all things to the church. But that is perhaps better translated as it is in the NIV head over all things for the church, for us. As his people, So where is Jesus now and what is he doing? He is on his throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he's loving us and blessing us with provision. Luke tells us at the end of his gospel that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he did so with hands lifted up in blessing upon his people. And he still maintains that posture. He's in heaven blessing us as his people, with provision. Specifically, he gives the Holy Spirit. He provides us with the Holy Spirit. The first thing Jesus did when he ascended into heaven is he poured out the Holy Spirit to unite us to him and to the Father so that our fellowship would be with him and the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. The ascension means that Jesus is dwelling with and in the believer and with and in the church. Not just with us, in us by the Spirit. So we have to get rid of this notion that somehow the ascension means the loss of His presence and His intimacy and His protection and His power and provision. The ascension actually means the intensification of these things through the pouring out of the Spirit of the exalted and ascended Christ who now dwells in us by that Spirit. St. Augustine put it like this, you ascended from before our eyes and we turned back grieving only to find you in our hearts. But it's more than that. It's not just that he gives the Spirit at one time at Pentecost and pours the Spirit out. He is continuing to equip the church with the gifts of the Spirit. He's continuing to equip us for the mission that he's given us by the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that he provides. Paul alludes to this later in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, when quoting a psalm, he says, when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Listen. Listen to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. We have everything necessary for living lives of godliness and living lives on Christian mission by the spirit that Jesus provides for us. Listen to what Bruce Milne writes. He says, The ascension puts at the church's disposal nothing less than the power which resurrected Jesus. Yep, you read that Right? The ascension puts at the church's disposal nothing less than the power which resurrected Jesus and set Him at the right hand of God in glory. That's what Paul is saying in verse 19. That's the power Paul wants us to know, the power that raised and ascended Jesus. And he wants us to know this so that we can be motivated and empowered for mission to pursue personal holiness, to push back the darkness with the light of the kingdom, and to proclaim the gospel so that what Paul immediately turns his thought to in Ephesians chapter 2, right after our text, actually happens. That those who were once dead in their trespasses and sins are made alive by God's mercy, operating through the Spirit, through the church, and are raised together with Him and ascended with Him in the heavenly places." In other words, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called and equipped to live lives that declare God's power to bring life from death and to usher sinners into glory. Jesus has provided for that mission by giving us the Holy Spirit. But he's doing something else as well. He is providing intercession as our advocate. Where is Jesus now and what is he doing? He's at the Father's right hand defending you from all accusation. Satan's accusations, the accusations of others, and even your own accusations of your condemnation. He's standing at the Father's right hand as your high priest. But more than just your high priest, he's standing there as the high priest who offered himself as the perfect and sufficient sacrifice that cannot fail to atone for your sins. Cannot fail to atone for your sins. So, Pastor Bob just preached on this, I think it was last week, being overrun with guilt. If you're being overrun with guilt, remember, your advocate and defender has ascended into heaven and is standing at the Father's right hand, pleading His own blood in your defense, saying, this one is mine. I have paid her debt in full. My blood has atoned for all of her sins let every accusation you know you may be feeling hated despised overlooked neglected left out by the world but remember this that the one who has been given the name above all names the ascended and exalted Jesus defends you fights for you blesses you and loves you That makes a big difference on the weight we give to other people's evaluation, doesn't it? The one with the name above all names loves you and delights in you. In fact, you know what else he's doing right now? He's in heaven preparing a place for you so that where he is, you might be also. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You know, before both of our children were born, Stacy and I spent a lot of time getting their rooms ready, stripping wallpaper, painting, buying furniture, putting up changing tables, trying to build cribs. All of that. I've talked to Jessica in the office this week. That's that's, that's exactly where the Maoris are right now. In joyful anticipation of the arrival. Right? Where is Jesus and what is he doing now? He's getting a room ready for you. In glory. Anticipating joyously your arrival. And if you are a child of God through faith in the ascended Jesus, his place there guarantees your place there with him. It's certain because of your union with the ascended Jesus by faith. In fact, in one sense, we're already there by virtue of that union. What Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, again just a few verses after our text, he says God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Positionally, that's true of us already. By virtue of our union with Jesus, we're ascended with Him because everything that's His is ours. We died with Him, we were buried with Him, we've been raised with Him, and we ascend in Him. But that will be true of us experientially when He ushers us into glory by His grace. And so, where Jesus is, that should be where our hearts are as well, right? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if Jesus is our treasure, our hearts will be with the ascended Jesus. Edward Payson helps us, I think, understand what that would mean. He writes this. He says, If we really believe that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven, there to appear in the presence of God for all who call on his name, to obtain blessings for them, and to prepare a place for their reception when they leave this world, we shall be led to call on his name with frequency and fervency. That's how we confess and celebrate Christ's ascension. Calling upon him as the ascended Jesus, our treasure with frequency and fervency. But here's also how we do it. Because this reality of our ascension in him is true, this should give us energy and motivation for mission in the present. The fact that Jesus has ascended, that's exactly what he told his disciples in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples, the ascension should empower us and motivate us to be at mission in present, in faithfulness to the ascended Jesus who is working all things out according to his will. And it should give us endurance to persevere through hardship. Mission and perseverance. This is also how we confess and celebrate Christ's ascension. Charles Simeon, a couple hundred years ago, wrote this. My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. He has ascended. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. We confess and celebrate the ascension because it's about the victory and exaltation of our Savior, of our King of our lord and we confess and celebrate the ascension because his victory and exaltation assures us of our victory and exaltation let's pray our father we rejoice this morning that our savior and king has ascended into heaven he has, he has ascended there to pave a way for us to ascend there as well We thank you that he's at your right hand, that you have appointed him there to intercede as our advocate. We thank you that he's preparing a place for us. Savior Jesus, we thank you that we know you as our ruler, as our king, as our forerunner, as our intercessor, as our mediator, and as the one who loves us and is preparing a place for us. May you help us to confess and celebrate this truth, not only with our mouths, but with our hearts and our lives as well. For we ask in the name of the ascended Jesus, amen.